Thank you for joining us for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays, and I'm here with Jay Jones. And Morning. this is Text Driven Tuesday. Indeed. So it's Monday morning for us. Yep. Yes. Just trying to recover. Yeah. This. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Mondays are... Uh, fun days? It's always interesting. Mondays are fun it's days? Just always, just always interesting. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we were talking before we started that today is a six-year anniversary of uh, things blowing up at uh, Northwest Baptist Church, my previous church. Yeah. So It's hard to believe it's been that long. It has. <laughs> I know. I remember, yeah. was it like uh, <clears throat> we did the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the conference, and it was like the next Sunday. That would have they, been two weeks. They so, were going to vote to... Yeah, uh, that, that would have been... Uh, yeah, in two weeks will be the, the sixth anniversary of uh, of that conference. Yeah, so we had the Friday-Saturday conference. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. We preached there. And then Sunday, you had to come in and figure out if you were getting fired or not. Uh-huh. Yeah. What a special weekend. <laughs> it was. It really was. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, lots of memories. Yeah. It's gone by pretty fast. It has. Yep. Yeah. It has. Well, we are uh, beginning a new study in the book of Jonah. Yeah. So, if you, uh, you want to follow along, you can turn your Bibles to Jonah. It can be a little, uh, a little tricky to find. Right there after Obadiah, which uh, is even harder to find. Yeah, <laughs> amongst the twelve, the twelve minor prophets. Um, but uh, we're going to start uh, this series on Jonah, mm. Jonah and the the well. Huh? Oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Appointed appointed three things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, only known as Jonah and the well. That's right. Yeah. I, Jonah and the plant is just kind of yeah. kind of weird. Jonah and the storm, kind yeah. of cool, kind yeah. of a cool. Jonah and the whale, that's the one that stuck. Yeah. <clears throat> now I was thinking, you know, I have this uh, this fear of great white sharks, which probably uh, psychologists would tell you started after I watched Jaws uh-huh. as a little kid. Um, but I, I want to. I'm thinking back, and I really think it started before that. And I think it was because of Jonah. You think so? I think so, because instead of it being like a cool little kids story, mm-hmm. you know, you usually see like the graphics in the kids section where they got the whale. Sometimes the whale has a smile on its face. Uh-huh. Like, oh. mm-hmm. um, I just remember thinking like, stuff could swallow you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how is this a good story? Yeah. <laughs> this is a scary story. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, rational fears began. <laughs> and then, you know, I jump in the deep end of the swimming pool, swim as fast as I could to the side, because I was sure there was something there that could swallow me even in the swimming pool. You ever feel that way? I don't I don't think I could say that I have. Yeah. I don't know if I've had that fear. <laughs> yeah. Got plenty of weird fears, but uh, I don't know if that's ever been one of them. Mm-hmm. And I've never been afraid of uh, being swallowed. 
I really think it's uh, more more fear of like the deep uh-huh. than it is maybe of sharks. Somewhere I think about this because I can. I mean, swim. that's a. Pre- I mean, that's a. That's that's a pretty rational fear of. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, you know, we the went. Ocean. We went snorkeling at a place called Electric Beach mm-hmm. when uh, my parents took us out to Hawaii for their anniversary, which was cool, super cool anniversary present to your family, but. We go to this place, and you have to be a pretty good swimmer to go out because it's kind of rough to get out past the waves and the water. So once you get out, that's super calm, but it's like 30 feet deep of perfectly clear water. Mm. And I was totally fine with that. Could swim down underneath, look around, see the turtles. Yeah, uh, Dolphins are there. We didn't, we didn't see any dolphins. Sometimes some, some, some sharks, some small sharks. But that, that doesn't freak me out. Like if I was in the middle of the ocean oh, yeah. and I couldn't see, mm-hmm. like it's heart attack. Heart attack time. How far does uh, light light go below the surface? It doesn't go very know. far. It's not. It's not very far. Mm-hmm. No. But I mean, you get into some. You go to you go to like uh, the Atlantic Ocean, like not in Florida. You can't see anything. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to swim in that. Right. Not even four feet. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyways, uh, a that's a that's a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a biblical fear. I mean, the the fear of the. Of the deep, I mean, the the Israelites were not um, really well, seafaring people. I didn't dig too much into the, like uh, the old like Hebrew cosmology, but it seems like the sea. I don't think they're making like an absolute statement like under the sea is Sheol, uh-huh. but it seems that they're associated. Like, yeah, you know, when Jesus cast the demons out of the pigs, which we read in Sunday, I was see how I get distracted during church. I start thinking about that. Uh-huh. They go into the sea, right, and they drown themselves. And mm-hmm. I think it's a picture of judgment of mm-hmm. these of legion being cast into the underworld, right. So the sea is associated with Sheol and the place of the dead, mm-hmm. as I guess you know, as we'll see, we'll get into it more as right. Jonah's goes down into the depths of Sheol mm-hmm. in the belly of the fish. But yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Um, and then in Revelation, of course, the sea is there's no more sea, but I, I don't know if I'm convinced that there's like that means there's no more oceans. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I think, um, you know, Revelation 13, there's the beast that comes out of the sea, yeah, and the sea is representation of the wicked, the wicked world, right? Um, from Daniel chapter seven, place of chaos, yeah. Uh, I, I think that what it's saying is that there's no, there's no more. There's no more possibility of something like this beast right. ever coming again because there is no sea. Right. There is there is no wicked chaos. Christ walks upon. He walks upon the sea. Mm-hmm. Right. Commands the sea. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting to think through um, all this stuff. So. Yeah. Lots of connections. Yeah. Um, and we may hit on some of these as we uh, as we dive into oh, the no pun intended uh, di- dive into <laughs> dive into the book let's go down into the depths of this book <clears throat> right uh so let's let's talk about this book because i i wanted to show this clip from uh jordan peterson he was on uh bill maher he has some some uh some show yeah and uh he he was interviewing jordan peterson and you know bill maher he's uh you know he's a he's a hardened atheist Right. Uh, he he, uh, he ridicules um, any religion, any yeah. religion, and so he was. Uh, but Jordan Peterson, he's got he's got some some show on the Daily Wire where they're um, doing like a 
we'll call it a, we'll call it a Bible study. <laughs> they're, they're going they're going through like the Pentateuch that they did Genesis right. and Exodus, yeah, yeah. and so Bill Maher is asking him about it and uh, you know throwing in his uh, his snide remarks about these stupid stories. He brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, and then and then uh, Jordan Peterson brings up the story of Jonah, <sighs> which Bill Maher has no um, respect for for the story for obvious reasons. Right. Um, and Jordan Peterson he uh, proceeds to psychoanalyze the story of Jonah. Uh-huh. And it's uh, a story of how uh, here's a man who is given something to say, and he refuses to say it. Uh-huh. And so chaos ensues. Right. And he actually goes into hell. But he's he's analyzing this in this uh, you know this psychological way where right. it's primitive man coming up with a story that maybe. They don't even consciously realize what they're talking about, but yeah. it's a story about because they're really you, dumb. Yeah, well, if you you ha- if you yeah. if you uh, if you have something to say to the culture and you and you don't say it, then the the boat is going to capsize. Uh-huh. And so it's it's all about this. Uh, I mean, if we've we've talked about Jordan Peterson a little bit, and uh, it's all about you know speaking into the culture, right, and refusing to be silent. In this like speaking into the the madness of yeah. well now now let me psychoanalyze culture. Jordan Peterson and, that, and that's that's, that's what he does with uh, with the the story of Jonah. You ready for this? Yeah, for him to get spiritually analyzed. Sure. <laughs> sure. So Jordan Peterson <laughs> makes Jonah the, uh, the what happens to a man when he won't speak to the culture, uh-huh. which makes him the antithesis of Jonah, which makes him Christ. <laughs> so he like all men want to be God, yeah. and so he has now placed himself as the mm. antithesis of Jonah, which is Christ, yeah. as we'll see. Mm. So, repent and believe the gospel. That's right. Yeah. You're Jonah. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, I didn't bring the clip because it's like it's like six or seven yeah, minutes yeah. long, and, and it's uh, long. didn't didn't want to spend time on it. But we but we, should, he, we should talk about uh, the story because that's that's just one that's just one example of how people approach this story, right? That well, ha- that has um, it has this the storm, the supernatural storm that God uh-huh. sends. It's got the big fish. Right. Uh, it's got uh, mass this mass conversion, like uh-huh. the, the whole city ex- experiences like this revival. Um, then there's the the plant and the worm and the scorching wind and heat yeah, yeah. and um, it's a it's a story that Jonah a lot worm. of people a lot of people yeah, <laughs> that would actually be a pretty good That'd accurate pretty representation because the worm is actually inside Jonah yeah uh-huh. yeah um, worm of bitterness right so you, you've got you've got people that approach the story not as a literal historical event. But they they come to it as, yeah. Uh, it's it's just it's just made up story. It's myth. It's mm-hmm. some way for for these ancient Israelites to come to terms with things in their world that they don't understand. Um, so let, let's talk a, a little bit yeah. about how we should approach this book. Well, and and sometimes even um, people who would profess that this is a this is a true story, well, can even they'll approach it. I would say the majority of the time it's approached as. Um, in this moralistic way, uh-huh. yeah. So you know, you'll uh, God's calling. You only have so much time to answer that call. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah. Um, 
you can't resist the call, which is strange to hear people say you can't resist the, resist the call of God, and then at the same time, yeah. <laughs> you got the story denounce, of Jonah. <laughs> denounce, denounce Calvinism, right? But yeah. they'll say things like that. Yeah, um, and and one of the things that you're gonna you're, you drove home was how we are Jonah, but some of the ways in which that is taken, it, it's like you literally are like Jonah. Right. It's it's almost like Jonah is a morality tale. Yeah. Like like right. a fable. Uh-huh. And you're you're in the place of uh-huh. of Jonah and it doesn't matter like the historical circumstances because now it's all about just these uh these applications. Right. Right. Yeah. So I just take I I approach Jonah as a, a literal story. Uh, I think as as I said in the opener, I just talked to one man. <clears throat> he uh, spent some time with him, you know, sharing the gospel, talking with him, and and then he brings up, as many people do, some obje- objection that they have to the Bible. Right. And and out of the blue came Jonah. Yeah. You can't really believe that uh-huh. a, a whale swallowed a man, which, by the way, has happened. I believe a, a whale shark swallowed a man, mm. and uh, it wasn't very long though. It definitely wasn't three days, and then spit him out. He lived, um, so it, it's physically possible for it to happen. Number one, with uh, a whale shark, probably a sperm whale that, that you might get hurt because they have real sharp teeth and stuff. But it can physically happen. But that's not how I go about the story. Right. So I just like like we already have talked about that God created the universe from nothing. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Um, a bigger a bigger hurdle for the non-believer is to just explain how we're here mm-hmm. right they can't explain it no philosopher can explain it no naturalist no materialist they take the biggest absolute leap of faith at the very beginning yeah it's ridiculous um so god creates everything time space the universe from nothing by the word of his power right and then you know we talked about how jesus rose from the dead right. which right. is you know if you want to why not bring up that ridiculous like that that's that's the most if you're non believer, that's gotta be the most ridiculous. That doesn't happen. Well it's, it's we know that. It's like the woman at the well. You, you um you confront them with sin. Yeah. And they come up with some, you know, off the wall theological topic right. that they want to debate. Right. 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 Well, right. where are right. we supposed to worship? Because the Jews say on this mountain and the Samaritans say on this mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's like this has nothing. This is this is just a distraction. You're just yeah. you're just trying to uh right. just trying to get get off the hook. Um yeah. yeah, so the same thing with the story of yeah. of Jonah. And 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 uh, that there there's a fundamental flaw in even that objection, because they're still coming at it as as naturalist, right? Like naturally, a fish does isn't going to swallow a man and then spit him back up. Exactly, which is the whole that's point. the whole point. <laughs> which is which is the whole point, right? Right. right. This is something special that happened. That, that's it's, it's that a would sign. That, that would be like someone saying, "Well, pe- we know that the resurrection didn't happen because people don't come back from the dead." It's like that's the point. <laughs> that's the whole point. We know virgins can't give birth. We're not stupid. Yeah, neither were they in the in the uh, yeah. two thousand years ago. That's uh-huh. the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> it's a miracle. It's meant to be a sign yeah. for you, but you apparently can't read flashing signs yeah. <laughs> uh, or you can read them and you just ignore them. If everyone's just getting swallowed by fish and spit up all the time, then 
<laughs> Jonah's not unique. <laughs> right, right. That's right. Well, it happened again. I yeah. guess we'll listen to what he has to say this time. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how are we? How do we know that this is not just an allegory or a parable? How do we know that this is a historical event? Right. Um, that's. I mean, it's for us. It's it's actually very easy. Um, Jesus brings. Uh, he speaks about Jonah on more than one occasion. Um, let me find. Let me find one for you. Um, Matthew uh, twelve thirty eight through forty one, which we'll return to several times. He speaks about it. Uh, it's recorded in other gospels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pharisees again, they come to him. They say, "Give us a sign." Even though he's done numerous signs already, the issue is not signs, uh, as is always the case. But let, let us see a sign. And Jesus says to them, uh, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, which is shocking after we talk about the Ninevites, uh, and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're a Christian, you have to believe the story, because Jesus said the story happened. He He said it literally happened. As presented here in this in the in the Old we, Testament, we also know Jonah was a historical figure. He's mentioned right. elsewhere in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in, in mm-hmm. just a minute. So yeah. we know that he's not just a literary figure, right? Um, for the Israelites, he right. was a real person. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we we should come at the story as I mean, it's presented as a historical narrative. Yeah, you should you should lead, read this as a literal story. Mm-hmm. As as a work of nonfiction, mm-hmm. yeah. in every respect, right? Yeah. Okay. You can't even understand the story if you don't. It's ridiculous. You have to come up with all kinds of ridiculous things, like, <laughs> right. like uh, you know, this is what happens to you when you when you hold it uh-huh. hold in what you know you should be speaking about. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about Jonah's place in the canon. All right. Um, because he's he's here in what we call the twelve, uh-huh. the, the minor prophets, right? right. Uh, but he's unique. He's yeah. unique among the minor prophets. He's uh, one of these things is not like the others, right? Yeah, it's it's a uh, very unique. E- even 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 in the major prophets, they don't have a lot of narrative, right? They they have some, but you have a lot of prophecy. I mean, mm-hmm. prophecies will just run on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Chapter yeah. two, chapter three, chapter, and then you have. <laughs> but even even the narratives, uh, Jeremiah is probably the closest to um, things that are happening to him. Yeah. Uh, but even when we think about Isaiah, there's a, there's a section in the middle, um, but kind of the hinge of the book is yeah. narrative, but it's not it's not really focused on, on yeah. Isaiah. Like he's not the he's not really the main character right. in right. in the the narrative. This, yeah. this is, and this this spans this spans a a little bit of time. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it is a a different a different narrative than we see in the other. Yeah, uh, Jonah. Jonah. So especially if you go like if you look at just go read all of the minor prophets. It's like just a collection of their prophecies. Jonah's the only prophecy <clears throat> here is like, is it four words long? In Hebrew, I can't remember how many in English, but 
it's uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches, and you know he says in forty days Nineveh will be overturned. Mm-hmm. It, it we'll look at it more when we get there, but it really means something more like in forty days Nineveh <laughs> will be made to repent because repent can mean to like mm-hmm. completely flip, right? Nineveh is going to be flipped in forty days, so you'll be made to repent or destruct. Destruction's coming in 40 days. And that's it. That's the prophecy (laughs) of Jonah. So really, I mean, kind of how I would take this is I want to give Jonah the benefit of the doubt, right, that he's in heaven. Mm -hmm. But the end of the book leaves you wondering. Right. Um, He's bitter. But... Like I said, I, I like to give the benefit of the doubt. And there seems Jonah, to be a reason why it ends the way that it does. Right. And we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But prob- <clears throat> pro- I just take this as probably Jonah came to the place where he realized, mm-hmm. you know, who he really who he was and what he had done, and and he wrote this book to right. provoke other Israelites. And that's uh, that's that's where I wanted to go next. Is it's it's in it's in the the twelve, uh-huh. um, which. There's there's some there's some variation about the book order in the in the Hebrew Bible, but the twelve usually stay together. Uh-huh. Um, what what is the purpose of Jonah? Because it's 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 easy for us, and I think you you kind of hit on it when you were talking about you know the the kids the kids stories. And you uh-huh. see like the the smiling fish, and Jonah seems to be having a you know might be a minor inconvenience, <laughs> but right. not not too bad. Um, but and we can we can come to the story of Jonah. And it's just it's just a it's just a story for us to read. Mm-hmm. It's just well, this happened, so it's here. But it's it serves a purpose, right? And within the twelve, it serves a purpose. Uh-huh. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about what what is the purpose of the book of Jonah? Because it's not just to, it's it's not meant to, to entertain. I mean, it's an entertaining story, but right. it's not meant to entertain us. Uh-huh. It's not just uh, a historical story of of something that happened to Jonah. It does serve a purpose. Um, I'm I'm kind of on the opinion that Jonah wrote it. Uh, why did why did why was this book written? Why why was it included in the Bible other than it's uh, it's one of the prophets of Israel? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I think it's to remind to remind uh, Israel at, uh, of the place that they are to uh, are to hold in the world. Um, as we see, Jonah almost acts as like a representation representation of an Israelite during his time, and it seems that they like the mercy of Yahweh when it's directed at them. <laughs> right. But uh, when it comes to the pagan nations, it seems they've forgotten that God has always had a plan mm. to extend His mercy and grace beyond the borders of Israel, and they don't they don't like that. So. <clears throat> Jonah, as we'll see, at this time in his life, it appears to me at least, more than a follower of Yahweh, he's a true Israelite, right? So he'll put his nationality and his people and their prosperity or their uh, success as a nation um, before his devotion. Mm. When he can, cl- but he he's camouflaged it, right? Because he's a religious man with a record of faithfulness in the past, but. When, when it comes down to this um, possibility that God could show mercy to the Gentiles and judge his own people 
because they're they're wicked as we'll see as we go through. Um, he's got a choice, right? Extend mercy to the Gentiles, which could mean the destruction of his people, or choose his own people, and he chooses his own people. Are you saying that Jonah was a nationalist? Jo- Jonah's definitely a nationalist, <laughs> which is which is not surprising and right. not always a bad thing. Right. But it's a bad thing when you're putting that above um, God's plan. Yeah. When you're defying God's will to pursue that. Mm. Um, so it it kind of functions in that way. But I think it also after after the after judgment would come because it would come mm-hmm. to the people of Israel. I think it could it reminds them that hey, if God can forgive this pagan nation, God will forgive us mm. if we repent. Yeah. So that. That's a big theme as well, because as we'll see, it should be shocking that God would forgive somebody like the Ninevites, mm-hmm. a nation like that, um, which they're not far off. They're not. They're not probably. They're not brutal and savage in the way they are. But they're Israel in this time is is very corrupt and and evil and wicked. Right. But if God can forgive them, He can forgive us, and that message still resonates today through time. If God can forgive these people, He'll forgive us. But also, the, it functions. Uh, Jonah's, as we'll see, I don't maybe give too much away, but he's very. Uh, he plays a pivotal role in God's pl- uh, redemptive plan. Jesus right. mentions him several times, mm-hmm. not just the sign of being in the belly of the fish, but also the sign of the Gentile nations repenting at the preaching of the good news, right. and Israel not. Mm-hmm. That's right. why Jesus says what he said. Nineveh will rise up yeah. and condemn this generation. Mm-hmm. They repented at the preaching of yeah. Jonah, <clears throat> and yeah. the real deal, mm-hmm. Jonah, right. is here. Yeah, I remember um, I, I taught this six or seven years ago. I remember that. Yeah, I, We came to that. Yeah, you guys came. Yeah. Um, I remember as I was studying it, um, just kind of the realization dawning that Jonah is just kind of uh, acting out Israel's history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, this is this is. Uh, I mean, you you compared what Jonah's doing with like uh, Deuteronomy thirty two and and just kind of the the program of Israel's of Israel's history, and he's just kind of acting it out, right? Um, so it's, yeah, I made that. So he's, uh... so he's a he is the the representation of of these people. Yeah, I made that that graphic. Uh, which <clears throat> kind of laid out the five sermons that are coming, Jonah, mm-hmm. and there's this dark hooded figure standing on the, the shore. Mm. And I liked that a lot because it is representative of Jonah. Yeah. Like, who's this dark figure? Is it Satan? No, it's the man in rebellion. It's Jonah. Mm. He's in rebellion, but not just Jonah, the nation of Israel. Right. And he represents that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I was looking at um, the the book this morning, and I was seeing how it uh, it's a really easy story to remember because it parallels. Uh-huh. There's two there's two parallels. Yeah. In the story, as Jonah rebels, he meets the the Gentile sailors. Um, he prays, God responds, and then the second half of the book is he obeys. Uh-huh. He's with the the Ninevites. The, there's some more Gentiles. He prays, mm-hmm. and then God responds. And so it's a really it's uh, it's a carefully crafted mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Also. Yeah, it is. Um. So, and it's actually very <laughs> complex, far beyond my abilities. Far, far beyond. I have a book in there. I wouldn't recommend it to people because it's um, 
so technical mm. with like the grammar, but it's a literary masterpiece mm. in its construction. Yeah. It really is. Right. So um, we have the benefit of having people who don't do anything in life but study Hebrew. <laughs> right. Right. They're not preachers, mm-hmm. but we can be grateful for them. Yeah. That they absolutely. serve they serve the church in the way that God's equipped them to. Yeah, definitely. So all right. Well, let's have you read. Uh, that was all that was all intro. Yeah. That was all intro. Um, so we're gonna see two two big themes yeah. uh, of the book in these first three verses. So this is kind of the intro to the entire book, and it sets up. Yeah, ner- narrative doesn't always serve well for like, a, hey, let me give you uh, two uh-huh. characteristics of whatever. And yeah, narrative doesn't always do that. So sometimes it's best like bring the point up as you're going through mm-hmm. and just present it right. as that. So that's yeah. kind of what it did. All right. Well, let's have you read the first three verses, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Three verses. All right. Three verses. I thought you were going to four. Did were you originally going to, go to four? Uh, I I thought about it as like the fourth verse can kind of show you okay resistance is futile. Uh-huh. But um I just thought it'd be better just to hang on to it because it just starts a completely new mm-hmm. section, yeah. new thought. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that the first three verses by themselves serve as the as yeah. good intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So two uh, two big themes that we're going to look at. Uh, the first is the kind heart of God. Yeah. And then uh, the second is uh, the rebel heart of Jonah. Mm-hmm. So the first two verses really set us up with um, characters. Yeah. And it's kind of the plot for the mm-hmm. story. So let's uh, let's talk about these characters. Uh, under the heading of the kind heart of God, and the first uh, first character we have is God Himself. God, right? He's yeah. the one that sets it all off. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this phrase, the word of the Lord came to you know, it's around a hundred times in the Old Testament mm-hmm. that this appears, and in here is I think the only place it starts a book uh, of the Bible, and it really kind of I think that communicates the idea that this entire episode in Jonah's life is thrust upon him by the action of God, mm-hmm. initiating, um, revealing himself, making himself known. Um, it's Yahweh, that's uh, capital L-O-R-D, so this, the covenant God of Israel comes to Jonah. Um, many people... <clears throat> Oh, were you gonna chime in? Oh, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm just really excited about uh, talking about this. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, yeah. I should have brought the. There's a book that was obviously very helpful in this. Uh, the was it called the Word of the Lord, the book. I can't remember where it talks about Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, Angel uh, of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah, the yeah. Angel of the Lord. But there's a whole chapter in there on the Word of the, yeah. the Word of Yahweh. Uh-huh. So most people, I think, I don't know how this became like. Group groupthink. I think I would call this group groupthink, but in the Protestant world, because you know we don't jump into the Catholic world much. But I'm I'm guessing they're the same way. 
Um, it's kind of just understood, like, we don't know how God revealed himself in this particular case, but he does in a variety variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the uh, New American Commentary kind of captures this idea. We don't really know how Jonah got this revelation. Could have been, uh, maybe he heard it in his head, maybe mm-hmm. he heard a disembodied voice, maybe right. it was a dream. I think that's how we, that's how I've always just taken this, which yeah. is so weird. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's just going along his business and uh, he hears a voice. Oh, what's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You, yeah, you, I, I think that's, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just an assumption. It's never uh, until like two years ago. Right. <laughs> it was never, I, that assumption was never challenged in my own thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we have, we have the fullness of the revelation in the New Testament that right, fills right. us in, but also just the language that's used, uh-huh. just not paying attention very well to the particulars of, of right, language. Right, right. And um, I mean, we've, we've talked about this. This was my, this is my conference sermon, uh-huh. uh, our, our Trinitarian uh, yeah. conference, uh, the Trinity in the Old Testament. Uh-huh. We just, um, I mean, I, I've expressed the, the, uh, the frustration that whenever you read a book on the Trinity, they, they always just kind of assume well, the Trinity is—it's there in the Old Testament, but no one really knows. It's just—it's just this mystery that isn't revealed until the New Testament. It's just kind of assumed that, right. and I, I think just upon further study, I think that it was more explicit than we often make it. And I—I I think that that's one of the reasons why we we come to a phrase like "Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah," um, and we we're just we're not thinking Trinitarian, right? Uh, we're we're just assuming that, and and it's it's just one of those phrases that is it's pretty common. Yeah, the word yeah, of the is. Lord comes to a you know a prophet, and we just kind of we just kind of gloss over it. Yeah, like well, uh, God spoke to this prophet and told him what to say, and he went and said it, and we we just we don't really think right about what exactly is going on here. Yeah, you know the. Uh... The prophets, first off, there aren't very many of them, okay? So there aren't a lot of people who can say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, mm. right? And they're also not doing what like other pagan nations would do, which would be to take drugs and get themselves in, into a weird psychoactive state where they can like did try you ever, to get uh, revelation. Did you ever watch that, uh, that Russell Crowe Noah movie? A long time ago, is that you what he did? You remember Methuselah? Methuselah was that? Is that, that how was, Methuselah? Uh, what, did? Anthony Hopkins played uh, Methuselah, and he was taking some, yeah, some kind of drugs, and he was like hearing voices in his head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's called witchcraft. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the prophets, the prophets of God, they aren't like that. Mm-hmm. So yes, sometimes they'll get a dream or a vision, some, and when they receive that vision, maybe they fall like a dead man and you know that this is repeated through the new testament but the, kind of this idea is i don't know i guess groupthink is the maybe the best word for it because it really is in most commentaries mm-hmm. so if you just grab oh, a commentary yeah. and you're going to read it it's going to say something like this which this is a good commentary by the way on jonah new, new american commentary it says the exact manner in which god related his desires or message to jonah is not given 
God chose to speak to prophets in diverse ways. At times he spoke through dreams, at other times he spoke more directly. On some occasions he spoke through a still small voice, uh, or rather through sensational means such as whirlwinds or earthquake. Um, here's the problem I have with that quote, is it seems that the direct manner is is given. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, right? And so if you just just read it, and you and you're a person who kind of asks questions. You have to ask the question: How does a revelation come saying? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does that happen? Right. Because the word "saying" is there. Like, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. It's not always there in all 100 times, but and I would say in the majority of cases that word "saying" is actually there. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's because we read the Old Testament without the Rosetta Stone mm-hmm. of the New Testament. Right, you can't you can't really understand either testament fully without each other. Mm-hmm. Like you can understand the Old Testament to a degree without the New Testament, but you can't really fully understand the New Testament without the New Testament. The revelation is is incomplete until Christ comes, um, and so we have a a full revelation. So we should read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And when we do, you know, we read uh, John. John one really kind of unlocks it in in an explicit manner. Right. John's gospel starts this way: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. Then you skip down a little further to, to verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the full revelation of God came, God in the flesh. You want to know exactly what God is like? He's Jesus. But here he's called the Word. Mm-hmm. So it's, Jesus gets a name at his birth, like all of us. Right. Before he was born, John is calling him the Word, the Word of God, yeah. the Word which brought everything <clears throat> into creation. Many people, and we've talked about this numerous times, we've been conditioned, I think, through this kind of groupthink, which per- has permeated even all scholarly research until kind of more recently, is that he's writing to, in a Greco-Roman way, Mm -hmm. in this kind of apologetic nature. I think this, I think you can trace this back to Justin Martyr. Okay. I think he's the the early church father that, um, I think, introduced this idea and and kind of, you know, as the the church becomes more Gentile, um, heavy, and less Jewish, their their idea of the logos is going to take more of a Greek philosophical uh-huh. idea instead of the the Hebrew. Yeah, and uh, in that in that <clears throat> world, the logos is like the logic. It's like the idea behind the everything. idea behind all of everything yeah. in creation. Right, right. Um, which we can go down a rabbit trail. Isn't really far from the truth, as as. Uh, in him we live and move and have our being, and Christ upholds the, the universe by the word of his power. Like, he is the grounding of all reality. True, but um, probably not what John's driving at. 
Not when you have the Old Testament filled with the word of the Lord. Right. <laughs> it's The word of the Lord is everywhere yeah. in the Old Testament. And, and he comes saying. Yeah. Right. So well, then, my, my favorite, my favorite spot, and th- this is what just kind of blew it open for me, was uh, Genesis 15, where uh-huh. the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Right. And we just, I've just always, just, I don't know, just swept over that. It's yeah. it's so easy for us to read too fast. How does how does a word come to somebody in a vision? Right. And then a few verses later, it says that he takes him outside. Right. Like you've got this the word that appears and is actually taking abram outside and pointing to the the stars <laughs> right like this is not some disembodied voice this is he's seeing somebody yeah and moses is calling this somebody the word of yahweh right yeah so how how i take it is as we see the angel of the the lord will appear the commander of the Lord, the the hosts of the Lord, the hosts of heaven, um, as Joshua encounters him, appears as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham eats with this man, has fellowship with him. Um, this person, this man, uh, who is Yahweh, consults with these other angels, like, should I tell Abraham about what I'm about to do to Sodom? Um, and yes is the answer. And so this, how, how I take the appearing of the word of the Lord saying, because again, disembodied voices don't say, they don't say things. Um, and personal pronouns are often used. I went back and looked up, I didn't look up all 100, but in the majority, there's personal pronouns used. Mm-hmm. I, me, yeah. right? Same thing here in Jonah. Jonah's first commission the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. Uh, second commission to go to Nineveh, tell them what I tell you. So I take it as an appearing of Christ in the Old Testament. You say, how, how does that happen? Because Jesus didn't come until he was born as a man. Well, it, it seems to me that when God wants to interact with the physical realm, uh, we live in the physical time-space realm, whenever he comes to a human, he comes in the appearance of a man. Um, it's a pre-incarnate Christ, and the Son has always been the the mediator, yeah, between God and men. Whenever yeah. God communicates to man, yes, it seems like it's through the Son. Yes, that's what it appears like. Um, I'm not saying like, do we ever hear the Father speak directly? Um, Possibly, yes, but we don't see him appearing mm-hmm. when, whenever there's an appearance like this in the Old Testament. It's the angel of the Lord. It's the word of the word of Yahweh. And whenever we see Yahweh, like in Isaiah six, where Isaiah says he saw Yahweh high and lifted up, mm-hmm. John tells us in in John chapter twelve that he actually saw Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He says it explicitly. Yeah. He explicitly says. He spoke of him because yeah. he saw him. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. Of course, we hear we hear the Father speak from heaven, Jesus' baptism, but it, it appears in the Old Testament the majority of the time there is a condescension. Let's say it's a it's a God is condescending down to humanity to make himself known. And he makes himself known in ways that we can grasp and understand. We cannot 
take the full blast of the glory of Yahweh. So he comes to manifest himself in, the, in a physical reality in a way in which he can interact with people and even eat with Abraham and things. And I would say, so Jonah is hearing, I think, with his ears because the word of the Lord is speaking. Right. And the sound waves are being you know, <laughs> agitated, and they're going in his ear, and he's there, and he is receiving a commission directly from God. And I think it makes Jonah's um, action all the more shocking mm. when you realize this. God's, God has come, made himself directly known in a way he cannot possibly misunderstand. He knows what he's been, the task he's been assigned and commanded to do, and he, as we'll see, uh, doesn't respond the way that God is wanting him, right. him to respond. So the first character is, uh, I, I say, is uh, it appears to be a pre-incarnate Christ. The word of Yahweh mm-hmm. came saying. Right. He's the first character of the story. He drives the whole the whole narrative forward. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about Jonah. He's the he's the second character mentioned here. Yeah. Uh, Jonah, son of Amittai. That's all you get. That's it, George. That's all you get in the story, right? (laughs) Jonah's no. So there's there's more. You you have you go. You know you can investigate in your Bible, and you'll see that he's in Second Kings uh, chapter fourteen. He appears. He's a prophet uh, to Israel, the northern kingdom. So at this time, there is the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom is more wicked. Judah will follow suit uh, in time. Uh, but they are they're also struggling with their own uh problems um i believe it's amos prophesies against judah a short section and then he launches into a diatribe against israel and their sin so you can see things aren't great in both regions but um jonah's he's a prophet he's has a proven track record of doing what god has asked him to do uh, but the first time he prophesies, it's to Jeroboam II, who is an evil and a wicked man. Um, but God is compassionate, and he's and despite the wickedness of the king and the wickedness of the people, it appears that they, for a period of time, were under threat of being eradicated, like wiped out by the Syrians. And God, through the prophet Jonah, spoke to Jeroboam, telling him that he would restore the borders of Israel to the borders that they enjoyed under the reign of Solomon, and they and he did. Mm-hmm. So he does prophesy. You can go in Second Kings fourteen twenty three. That's where we read that he is a prophet from Gath Hefer, which is the region that we know in the New Testament as Galilee. Now, Jay, I was uh, reading the uh, I was reading the Gospel of John uh-huh. this past week. And I was assured by the Pharisees that uh, if you search the scriptures, no prophet ever no comes prophet. from Galilee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe they're just too ashamed of Jonah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, no, no real prophet comes from there. Right. The last one was we don't want to talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he uh, so he does that, uh, and I really like the uh, the. The text in Second Kings such a great reminder, and it really helped me to frame this first section, which I called the kind heart of Yahweh, or the kind heart of God. That's the first thing you should see in these verses. It would be easy to slide past it and just focus on Jonah, but you really see the kind heart of God, and this is what we read in Second Kings. Um, after 
God prophesies through Jonah that he'll restore the borders, the reason is given in 26. Mm -hmm. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Mm. And so that kind of sets up this this idea where you see that uh, the people are exceedingly wicked, and God has been incredibly gracious to them, even in their lack of repentance. God's decided that he would bless them because of his promises, not because of them. And you see the goodness of God there in in that first prophecy that he gives. So when God comes back to Jonah, you expect Jonah is going to immediately listen. (laughs) And uh, it's not what happens. Uh, Some of this might be a little speculation, but I would say it's informed speculation, right? Because the reason Jonah runs and disobeys, he tells he tells us later in the book, mm-hmm. and it's because he knows that God's merciful, right? He knows God's character and nature, and he says, this is what I was afraid of, you know? Yeah. I knew you were merciful. This would happen. <laughs> but behind that is really a kind of a, a, a nationalistic... Uh, dilemma that's going on inside. I think Jonah. Can, can we can we talk just for a second because this has been brought up before? Mm-hmm. Um, would we? Uh, how accurate is it to say that Jonah is racist? Because that's that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been brought up before. Is it that he's racist or is he just nationalistic? I don't. Th- I don't think Jonah is racist. Okay. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong. He could have been a racist, yeah. um, but don't don't mistaken right what a man will do to save their own nation mm-hmm. for being a racist. So, what's going on in the background when Jonah gets this commission is as Amos and uh, I be, is is it Hosea the contemporaries? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. So I have some of the prophecy of Amos. <clears throat> They're prophets to Israel as well. God's telling them speak to Israel. They're wicked. Mm-hmm. They're doing some. T- they're they're doing terrible things, um, and they're not listening. <laughs> so God's been gracious. He's given them preachers, prophets. Uh, repent. You're dangerously close to having the curses of the covenant fall upon you, and they won't listen. So here's a section from Amos. You can get a flavor of what Israel is like during this time. Jonah receives this commission. Amos two six through eight. Uh, says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So they're they're engaged in in slavery. Um, not I'm not talking about like indentured servitude, where they would set people free after paying off their debts and things like that. I'm talking about enslaving people, um, and so God's threatening to judgment upon them for that. They also, he says, those that trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. And so they're vi- they're violating all of the covenant stipulations that God has given them to take care of the oppressed, to care for the wood- widow and the orphan and the sojourner. Um, they're engaged in, um, I would say, like an abusive capitalistic type of a system where they don't care anything about the poor anymore, and they'll... They'll keep them down. They'll abuse them. Um, injustice is is reigning everywhere. 
And then he says, a man goes, a man and his father go into the same girl. Um, so they're engaged in, I don't think that means like, hey, this is the only thing. I think it means that you're, you are sexually immoral like the pagans. They're probably engaged in all kinds of other things, including homosexuality and who knows what else. But it, it said that a man goes into his father, a man and a man and his father go in the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down besides, beside every altar on garments taken in a pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So they're engaged in all kinds of idolatry, um, and we know this to be true of of the northern kingdom. Right. And Jeroboam is engaged in the same sins as his father, which is idolatry, mm-hmm. worshiping of pagan of pagan gods. All, all of these uh, these northern kings are said to follow the what the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, mm-hmm. which he was the first king of the northern yeah. tribe, and he set up two golden calves mm-hmm. at the the north end and the south end of the of the right. kingdom, and so they're they're engaged in the same kind of idolatry that you see uh, at Mount Sinai. Yeah. But one one wasn't good enough, so they doubled it. They had to double it, yeah. Well, he was afraid that they were going to all leave the northern kingdom to go back down to Jerusalem. Yeah, worship so. at the temple. So. so worship worship here. Here's your God. Yeah. <laughs> Here's yep. your God. Uh-huh. And, and so the, this, word of the, this word of the Lord is coming to Israel through the, these other prophets, and Jonah observes they're not listening. Yeah. What's going to happen if they don't listen? Well, he knows the covenant cursings are going to fall upon them. Yeah, they're going to be judged, and now he's in the predicament. The word of the Lord comes to him not to go back to Israel to preach to them to repent, but to go to a pagan nation to preach to them to repent. And so, rather than being a racist, probably I think he knows because he knows God's character and he knows God's nature. He always keeps his promises, and God's promises, covenant curses, are going to fall upon you. So it sets up this scenario, I think, for Jonah. If they listen to my preaching and they repent, God will forgive them, not just forgive them, he'll bless them. Mm. And then what if he uses them to destroy us? It seems like he's having some of the same crisis that Habakkuk has when uh, he looks around at all the evil and God tells him, that the Babylonians are coming. <laughs> right, right. And Jonah picks a side. Mm-hmm. So the dilemma for him is obey obey the will of Yahweh, which could mean the destruction of my people mm. taken into captivity, or I can run, <laughs> and, and maybe I can defy God, mm. and I can save my own people. Yeah. That's kind of how I take the book. Okay, I'm open to being corrected that he was just a racist, yeah. but I think that's what's behind it. He's, as we'll see next week, when they ask him questions, the first thing he says is his nationality, not the God he serves, which is the que- which is what they want to know. Yeah, they want to know who's your God, mm. and the first thing he says is who who he is as yeah. a, a national Israelite. Huh. I wonder if he sees himself as some kind of hero, maybe for saving his. Even his people. Yeah. Um, I would think, I mean, again, this is a, a lot of speculation. Right. You would think that Jonah would be a hero for the, the Pharisees. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so he, um, 
he's not what we expect. Mm -hmm. So you read the story, you expect a prophet to hear and to... He could perhaps do what sometimes many prophets do. They'll have kind of this... uh, They'll have an objection. They'll make it... They'll make make like a... If if, if this is a case of law, here's his opening rebuttal. Uh But God... You know, I yeah. can't do what you yeah. asked me to do because I'm not a good speaker, or I'm, uh, you, you know, whatever. Or he, you know, you could see this a lot in uh, in Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah is uh, he complains to God mm-hmm. uh, several times. Yeah, but well, he, uh, he doesn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> he just, yeah, he just, he just, he just takes goes, off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, are we already fifty six in. Here? I know. Yeah. In the world? Uh, well, let's talk, let's talk about Nineveh. Okay. Let's talk about Nineveh. Like, why why would Jonah okay. turn tail and run? All right, so so Nineveh is founded by Nimrod. You can see that in Genesis chapter ten. Nimrod is interesting, kind of to, to a, look at this. See a giant. So some, <laughs> I would say it's a possibility he yeah. is. So I'll just give you my my kooky, my kooky interpretation of uh, Nimrod. That's what I'm okay. here for. Jay. Nimrod is a founder of Babylon. Okay, uh-huh. Babylon tries to erect this mountain. Okay, I think what that represents is people in rebellion to the creator god trying to recreate what happened pre-flood mm-hmm. so they're trying they're de- they're they're engaged in you could just call it witchcraft to summarize all of it but they're reaching out to the supernatural mm-hmm. in defiance of the true living god mm-hmm. i think it's likely that nimrod was perhaps uh, a hybridized person. Hmm. Um, he becomes a mighty... He says he's a mighty hunter. Hybridized? Is hybridized. That, is that a real word? How about a are demonic... You make, are you making that up? Demonic bastard. <laughs> is that better? <laughs> <laughs> so he founds Babylon. That's, go, that's going in my Bible in uh, yeah. in Genesis Genesis 10. He founds Babylon. We know uh, ba- Babylon, the worst city that's do you ever th- lived. Do you think he was... Uh, ever been. Do you think he was like the leader of yes. uh, the Tower of Babel? Do you yes. think he was like king? I do, yeah. because he founds that city, and he found, and, and he's the and founder Nineveh. of Nineveh. Uh-huh. And Nineveh in the Bible is associated, like Babylon, with wickedness. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's associated with like the the abode of like, where was I? I should have marked it down. It's a paganism. Like the haunt of evil, yeah, right? right? The seat of darkness. Um, paganism, yeah. So these cities are founded... Um, I believe in, and in, in the very beginning, as an antithesis toward the plan of God, mm-hmm. um, symbolizing man's rejection of his, Yahweh. His name means rebel, or we rebel. Yeah, yeah. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord, and there's debates on that transla- uh, translation mm-hmm. in Genesis ten. It could mean he's it, a he's a Gabor. Yeah, he's a Gib- Giborim, a mighty man. Yeah. He. Uh, it could mean he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Could mean that he's a mighty hunter in opposition mm. to the Lord. Yeah. So, but that's all in the original founding. Again, that's just my quirky speculations on things. We're not. There's a lot of stuff that's we're not given a lot of detail on. Yeah. Um, he found, and he's the founder of many other cities in the region. Right. But the two most prominent I, would be Babylon and uh, and Nineveh. And this is about 500 miles. 
to the northeast. northeast. Yeah, it's yeah. on the Tigris River. The the city of Mosul is there today. Okay. So I made a trip there when I was in Iraq to the city of Mosul, and I remember okay. I didn't get to go see the ruins of Nineveh, but they were just right there across the river. Okay. Um, was a massive city. It's a great city. That's how God Himself describes it as okay. as this great city. Um, three days. It would take you three days to walk across it. Absolutely massive. Uh, it's like a metropolitan area before there were cars, right? It's, right. This is a huge, huge place. It will eventually become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, the Babylonian, or the uh, the Ninevites, rather, they're known f- to be uh, incredibly uh, barbarous people. Um, so if the kiddies are listening, you might put the earmuffs on for them for a second. You didn't give you didn't give that that warning no, we yesterday. Don't, you don't get that in church. <laughs> yeah, it's no choice. <laughs> Everyone, yeah, I used to have nightmares about the deeps of the sea, and now uh, all the kids in church are having nightmares about the Ninevites yeah. <laughs> coming. <laughs> so they, uh, they would, uh, they'd often cut the hands and the feet off of their victims, uh, not for any reason, just for fun, mm. just for the enjoyment of of inflicting pain and suffering upon people. Mass executions, um, impalement on poles. I held off on some of the graphic nature of the way the impaling goes, but right. it goes from the uh, bottom part of your body to the top part of your body. And they would, by the thousands, impale people and hang them up on, on the roads and the main right. thoroughfares. And this, of course, had a major psychological, talk about psychological warfare. This is right. early psychological warfare. Yeah. And, of course, it worked. And people absolutely, they were terrified of them. They, they'd, they'd burn people alive, again, just for amusement, Um Tiglath Pileser would skin people alive and hang their skins on the city walls, which is this is we're getting into some crazy town stuff, right? They he'd collect their skulls. So imagine this king with piles of skulls, mm. like, hey, let's go. We need to go pay homage and <laughs> right. to the king, and then there's just piles of human skulls everywhere mm. as collections. Um, They'd fish hook people through the nose. I thought this is kind of interesting. They'd fish hook people through the nose and take them away, you know, like they'd string them all together with rope or whatever, carry away the captives like that. And some believe possibly this is a kind of uh, in a tip of the hat to their fish god, Dagon. Mm-hmm. Half man, half fish. Some have speculated. What does that mean? Is he hybridized? Is he a hybridized? We get into the weird stuff of the Bible. Is he a hybridized? Nephilim, demon, mm. possibly. Um, they have other. They have other false gods as well as many of the ancients did in, in their pantheon. So they're absolutely brutal. Um, that that probably pay, pay, uh, played into it a little bit. I would imagine. Who would want to go there? Right? Like, is this a you're sending me on a suicide mission here? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, so that's that's part of it, maybe. Um, this but mad, I, this is Mad Max into the Thunderdome right. <laughs> territory. Yeah, this, this is some wild stuff, right? <laughs> right. Um, so they're brutal, and that brutality it plays into the first point, the, right. ki- the kind heart of, of God. Right. Uh, because this whole thing starts with God commissioning a prophet to go and to preach repentance to these people. Yeah. <laughs> I think if anyone is honest with themselves, they would say, "If if I were God, right, mm-hmm. I would destroy them. Right, it would be vengeance time." And God, God is a God of vengeance, and He is a just God. 
And he does judge nations for their wickedness like this. He, it's all over the Bible that he does. Yeah. Um, but he does in here. He mm-hmm. extends he extends grace to them. Yeah. So, which I mean, it's, that's a shocking thing. Yeah, I mean, we we should be shocked by this because he doesn't do this to every wicked wicked city or wicked nation. I mean, this is not the way that he treated Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. I mean, it was just it was just judgment. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, it wasn't sending a prophet to to, right. pre- to preach to them, right? Though, though you might possibly could argue they had a little bit of grace that Ott was there. He was a believer, but yeah, you're right, uh, and it's God's prerogative to uh, to judge as He will. But there's a very good likelihood that at this point in time on planet Earth, these are the worst humans mm. alive. So think of these are the worst people alive on planet Earth at this time, the most hor- horrific sinners, and God extends to them or His initiation of the prophet reveals His heart. Right. I will forgive even these people if they listen to my word. I'll relent and forgive them, mm-hmm. and they won't be destroyed. That should shock you. It should be. It should be shocking. And it's easy to miss that if you just you're just gonna read right through and you're not asking, well, what does this really say about the character of God? And that's incredibly beneficial to us today because yeah, we may not have engaged in that type of like uh, brutality and violence toward other people, but there are a lot of people that think in the world like I am too terrible of a sinner for God to want. Um God would never want to have anything to do with me. Um, maybe if I really work on myself and reform myself and make some atonement for myself and do some good in the world, then we can start talking about God, because then maybe God would want me. Mm. And this tells us God wants even the, wor- even the worst of sinners that are alive today, that God extends grace and mercy to them, yeah. because He's kind. I mean, what else can that say about God? Then that that he is incredibly kind. I think it shows that God's, if you want to say he has an inclination, God's inclination is to forgive and to extend mercy and grace. His first inclination, his first inclination could have been destruction, destroy, vengeance, justice. Um, but then you don't have the God of the Bible. That would all be right, because they deserve it. That would all be right, and God would be just to do that. There would be no fault in God for doing that. But I think what we see time and time again, even we see it with Israel too, God wants reconciliation. Mm. That should be shocking. And the only people that's shocking to um, are people that are proud, I think. People that are proud, um, and they don't want God to be like that. Yeah. So, and we see the the uh, extent of God's grace, not only to to Nineveh but to Jonah also. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. <clears throat> we were talking about it yesterday at, at lunch. Um, God could have just let Jonah go, right? And Jonah could have gone to Tarshish and lived out. <laughs> right. His days have been happy and at peace and gone to hell. Yeah. Um as this rebellious this rebellious man. Uh-huh. 
Uh, yet God goes to great lengths <laughs> right, <laughs> to bring Jonah yeah. back to repentance. But he also goes to great lengths to ensure that Jonah goes to Nineveh mm-hmm. and preaches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we see this this kind heart of God in these first few verses. They just interview. They introduce the main the main characters of the story. Yeah. There's God, Jonah, and these uh, this crazy nation. <laughs> right. Uh, can you even imagine living ar- living around this time period? Like this is this is some crazy stuff. You're just trying to live your life, and then this nation arises. That phew, crazy man. I can't imagine living in a nation that is wicked and unjust and uh, violent and <laughs> <laughs> kills babies and <laughs> engages in sexual immorality. That's just foreign. That's foreign mm-hmm. to me, Jay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we, we, have, we have the kind heart of God. But then the next shocking thing yeah. is the rebel heart of Jonah. Mm-hmm. So God, God's grace is... It's almost scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Jonah's response, which is <laughs> even more scandalous. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, Jonah's, Jonah's nothing like his God. God. And I love how you, uh, you psycho, psychoanalyzed Jonah. Jonah complex. The Jonah, I'd never heard of the Jonah, heard complex, of the Jonah before. complex before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So what, what was the Jonah complex again? So the Jonah complex in psychology today is kind of spoken of, of something that's very perba- pervasive. Okay. Um, Pretty much, you know, the majority of the population has it to some degree. So it's you seeing your full potential. You know what you're capable of doing when you're at your best. You can see the success that you could have. And then you undermine your own success, uh, either purposefully through reckless behavior or sabotage or whatever, mm. or subconsciously. You okay. might you might do it subconsciously, okay. subconsciously okay. as well, um, because you fear reaching your full potential. That sounds like uh, a Joel Osteen sermon. Pro- yeah, I'm sure he. <laughs> that's the way he probably would preach it. Yeah, well, that's not what we see with nah. with Jonah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jonah, Jonah, the Jonah complex is having a rebel, a rebel heart, yeah. a heart of rebellion against mm-hmm. God. So you could call it the Adam complex if you want, but okay. for the purpose of this book, we call it the Jonah complex. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's is pervasive. It's something everyone has. Mm-hmm. Everyone right. has this. So this is verse three. Yeah, verse three. Um, and the the rebellion, the shocking nature of the rebellion in verse three is constructed in a way to really emphasize that. Like, this is the point. Uh-huh. You ought to be absolutely shocked that a prophet of mm-hmm. Yahweh is in absolute defiance of him. Okay. Um, the language that's used, it kind of sets up a mirror a mirror opposite. So the commission comes in, in verse 2, three imperatives are used, arise, go, call out. Call out means something like preach, proclaim. Mm-hmm. Arise is uh, it functions in the, uh, adverbally uh, to mean to get up and go now. Arise now and go to Nineveh. And we see the exact opposite. In, in, in verse 3, we see the exact opposite takes place. He arises, mm-hmm. he goes down to Joppa. And instead of going the other way, he goes down to Joppa, and he's silent. He's silent here until he's forced to speak by the sailors. He, he does nothing. He doesn't pray, he doesn't talk, mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything. Uh, so he does the, the mirror opposite of the commission. And then also there's a chiasm that's in verse three. We've talked about the chiasms before numerous times. And it all emphasizes Tarshish. And you see Tarshish is repeated over and over. So 
and it, it's to <clears throat> communicate to you. He went like you should say if you're if you're reading this in the in the and you're an ancient Israelite, you say he went to Tarshish. Yeah, where is uh, where is Tarshish? Because even in uh, like the the map in the back of the Bible, it's got a question mark. Right. Yeah. Uh, because I think I think there was uh, there's debate over whether it's Tarshish or Tarsus. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Most people just say this is probably in Spain around the Straits uh-huh. of Gibraltar. Okay. A port city. Yeah. So, but it, it's the farthest away he can go in the known world. Right. Yeah. So. You have the known world, which encompasses most of the Mediterranean Sea, parts of uh, Assyria, going over into Asia, even down into Africa. But really, it's the uh, the the world is the Mediterranean Sea. Right. He can't go any further away from yeah. where God told him to go. If he could, I imagine he would have got on another boat and gone to America. <laughs> right? If if America was known at the time, he'd uh-huh. say, this is only the stopping off point. Right. I'm going to Virginia. Yeah, going you know? as far away as yeah. possible. I'm going as far as I can get. So 500 miles to the northeast is where he's supposed to go. He goes 2,000 miles. He's trying to go 2,000 <laughs> right. miles the other direction. Mm-hmm. One commentator said in order to, to go there, to be very expensive, because mm. this is the farthest, this is the edge of the world. Right. Like, you go past there, you might fall off, right? <laughs> so he, some have speculated he sold everything he had. Wow. His entire livelihood, everything he owns is in the, invested in this trip. Um, and that's what this chiasm communicates, the absolute rebellion. He's, he is running for his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, going, he's, he's going as far as he can away from what God's told him to do mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that it never happens. That's his goal. Um, and then also the phrase that Jonah fled the presence of the Lord, I found this to be incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, starting to dig into here. Jonah fled the presence of the Lord. Liberal scholars will do this, okay? If, you, if you'll hear them, they'll say, that's because Jonah views his God as a regional tribal deity. So if he can leave Yahweh's domain, he can escape from Yahweh. And that's how pagans viewed their gods, right? right? So Chemosh is the god of the Moabites, and that's his region, Right. Yeah, there's some story in, I think it's Second Kings, where I think it's the Syrians. They uh, they attack Israel, mm. and they they attack them in like the plains, and they lose. And so they come back the next year, and they're like, "Well, since their god is the god of the plains, we'll fight them in the mountains." And <laughs> right. they, they lose. They, they lose again. They lose again. <laughs> right. Because uh, they they think that there's there's a pantheon uh-huh. of of gods and they all have their own little now niche that they they operate in. Here's the surprising plot twist. I I believe that those regional gods are real beings. Mm. I believe they're demonic forces. Yeah. And I believe because they're <coughs> well, in, I mean you see that in um what uh, Daniel chapter 10? Mm-hmm. Daniel chapter 10? Where, Somewhere around uh, there where yeah. there's the there's the the, the prince of the of Prince Persia. of Persia, uh-huh. this uh, angelic, yeah. fallen demon right. who's in opposition against uh, God's, uh, a, God's a, angels. A, a son yeah. of God, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think you see it in Deuteronomy chapter 32. God divides the nations, mm-hmm. and he takes Israel as his inheritance. Yep. Um, and he, he, gives the, he gives the nations to... Yeah. Yeah. And so that's not how Jonah viewed 
is God, though. Right. That's how the pagan nations viewed their gods. And to some degree, perhaps they were right in that they were under the domain of a spiritual dark force that, of course, isn't all-powerful, so he can only influence so much of an area. But Jonah would never believe that to be true about God. Right. No Israelite ever believed that to be true about God. Um, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, would have been well-known by Jonah, mm. uh, written by David. And David says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So the God of the Bible, Jonah's God is omnipresent. He knows this. He knows everywhere is Yahweh's territory. He can't go anywhere to get away from him. But he also will profess that truth to the sailors in verse 9 where he tells them that he's a Hebrew, he fears Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What is he saying? I fear the one true God who made everything. Right. Which I imagine then the sailors, as we'll see, they're like, you're a moron. (laughs) You think, like, what are you doing? Yeah. So you shouldn't read that in that way that liberal scholars will read it, and it's not at all what it means. One commentator brought up that this exact phrase is used of Cain. uh, When Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord, uh, you know, he's cursed to go uh, because of uh, what he's done in killing his brother. But really, Cain fleeing the presence of the Lord obviously started before that happened. That's just the end result, how it's described. Cain brings an unworthy sacrifice, say a faithless sacrifice, and he kills his brother out of in his jealousy and rage. And after he's cursed of God, which even in the curse, you can see the mercy and grace of God and that he doesn't destroy Cain and ki- like kill him. Mm-hmm. He goes away from the presence of the Lord. Um, what is he doing? I think he's making explicit what's already been going on in his heart, that he will not walk in the way of Yahweh. He will not, as we'll see, stand in his presence. Yeah. And that and that uh, can also help help us in our interpretation when we see that the word stand, to stand before the Lord or stand before Yahweh is used to the prophets in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. That's one of, kind of one of their markers, I stand in the presence of Yahweh. It's an idiom, really, that means something like, I am a servant of of Yahweh, I live to do his will. Uh, Elijah, uh, Elisha, Elisha, Elijah, and Jeremiah, they they all use this terminology to describe their ministry. God uses it in Jeremiah to say what he will do for Jeremiah. You will stand before me, and if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. So to stand before Yahweh or to stand in his presence is to live to serve him. Right. Right, so you're living in covenant with him, and you're living to serve. So when it says he flees his presence, it doesn't mean he doesn't think he can get away. It means that he's saying explicitly, "I will not serve you," mm. which is shock. It should be shocking, <laughs> right? He's he's uh, an elect. He's already an elect Israelite, yeah. but on top of that, he's an elect prophet, prophet from Galilee, yeah. God's chosen instrument, and he says no. I will not be your servant. Hmm. And that should be absolutely shocking. Yeah. Um, it's the height of rebellion. The rebel heart of Jonah should be absolutely shocking as you read the beginning of this. And, and this is where we see that he he really is just personifying the nation of Israel. 
mm-hmm. God's word comes to them and they say, no, right. We're not going to serve you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, God has revealed himself to Jonah. He takes a step-by-step process. And if you really think about just every time we sin or even the process of deconstruction, that's popular today. Mm. Deconstruction follows the same pattern. Yeah. It's not like they don't know the word of the Lord. Okay, right. They know the word of the Lord. They reject it. Mm. And then they not only reject it, often they'll do the opposite of what it says mm-hmm. because of culture or pressures, political pressures, whatever they may be, they do the opposite. And then and then to order to live in that type of rebellion and sin comfortably, what you have to do is willfully flee the presence of the Lord, to make a willful choice to disfellowship, <laughs> I guess you could say, to disfellowship God. Yeah. Often while maintaining a, an appearance of religion and religiosity and... Yeah. Um, Perhaps even the appearance of being a good man or having good motives, um, but that's what you see. And every time, and every time we sin, we can be hard on Jonah. But every time we sin, we do the same thing. Yeah. You can't sin thinking to yourself, "Okay, I am in fellowship and covenant with Yahweh. He's here with me right now. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, commit adultery." Right. Right. There's a process that has to take place. Yeah. There's a willful rejectant rejection of God's revealed will. All right, in this scenario, maybe don't lust, don't even look at a woman lustfully. But there's a rejection of that. You do the opposite. And then to double down in that and to live in that, there's a walking away from Yahweh. Mm. I've got to not walk with him anymore so that I can persist in my sin. So we, um, as I said in there, we are in this scenario. Like right. we can insert ourselves in the text. Yeah. And say we're we're Jonah, right? Because he's fo- he's following Adam, right? He's doing what Adam. He's did, doing yeah. exactly what Adam did. Uh-huh. That's uh, right. Rejecting God's word and then fleeing from His presence. Uh huh. Right. That's right. Um, and so it's it's funny the the ways in which Jonah is often preached is almost like a motivational yeah. lecture. Uh huh. Like like the psychoanalyzing of. Uh-huh. God's given you something to do. Right. You should do it. Don't run. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's you already have. <laughs> you already have run. Yes. You, you already. You're. You already have been like Jonah. Yeah. That's um, right. You. You have already failed. Uh huh. And Jonah's only hope here is not to come to his senses and and do better. Uh-huh. His only hope is God. Being gracious to him because mm-hmm. he's he's not gonna he's not gonna change his mind he's he's on his way to Tarshish he's on his way down and it's only it's only God's grace that stops him yeah down that's the repeated word that's used as we'll see going into next week mm. uh, he's going down yeah. where is he going down to right <laughs> he's not going down to Chinatown he's going he's going down into Sheol right uh, that's where his rebellion will take him okay. and. I found this to be interesting. I didn't know this till I started looking into this. I shared this with you, I think, last week that every year on the on Yom, Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, day of Atonement right. even to this day, the Jews will read in synagogue the Book of Jonah, mm. and that is kind of interesting. It is right. What 
this book, but at the apparently at the end of it, they all say together, "We are Jonah." Oh. Um, and I th- I think if if you get on and you read what some of the rabbis will say, they'll say it's to remind us that if God will forgive Nineveh, He'll forgive us of our mm. sins, which which is a good thing to right. to, to know, right? To learn to remind yourself of the merciful na- nature of God. But they miss the entire the entire reason that God will forgive us, mm-hmm. right. and that's the the uh, the polar extreme. How do, how does Jonah function in a way to where he can point us to Christ? Well, the first way he does that is that he's the exact polar opposite. Right. So Jonah's a prophet from Galilee. The only other one is Christ. Mm-hmm. He's the greater prophet from Galilee. Someone right. greater than Jonah is here, and he's the antithesis. Mm-hmm. In every respect, in every way of Jonah, yeah, the exact opposite. As we'll see next week, jo- Jonah would rather he'd rather die than obey God. Right. That's what he, like he's not making a, a sacrifice on behalf of these sailors. Throw me in, and you'll be <laughs> saved. Like, and throw me in and in my misery. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, throw me in so I can die. Right. I don't want to obey God. Uh, and that's repeated at the end of the book. Right. I'm angry enough to die. Angry enough to die. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But Jesus lived Mm. to do the Father's will, Mm. and he would die Mm. rather than disobey. Right. He would die if that means obedience. Yeah. He's the exact opposite. Mm. And so I said, Jesus died for Jonah. Like, we have to forget. Jonah didn't make it. If Jonah made it into heaven, and let's grant him some grace and say he made it, he repented. He didn't make it because he was uh, came to his senses and saw how how dumb he was in this story, how how much his sin had made him stupid. I almost called this "sin will make you stupid." Yeah. I almost made that the title of the sermon. <laughs> but he uh, he makes he will make it because Jesus, the greater prophet from Galilee, he lived obediently on his behalf and he died for his sin. Yeah, and and. And we'll see next week. Even there are more. There are more foreshadowings of Christ. Right. Uh, and, and I wouldn't even say like they become explicit, mm-hmm. absolutely explicit in this next passage. Yeah. Um, and so we need to remember this this lesson that that uh, there was a greater prophet from Galilee, and um, we need to pay attention to the sign. The sign. Uh, the sign of Jonah. Came to its fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and and in His name, um, Jesus newly commissioned humanity, His disciples, His people became a light of revelation to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. and the Gentiles heard the preaching of the greater Jonah through His prophets, right? And they repented, yep. And we should as well. Mm-hmm. And if Christ will forgive even the Ninevites, if He'll forgive Jonah, He'll forgive us, right? Because of what He's done, yeah. So that's good. That's it. That's good. That's it. All right. Well, uh, five weeks for the book of Jonah. Yep. Four more coming. Okay. All right. Well, looking forward to it. Off to a good start. Thanks for the uh, the introduction and and just setting the context for us and uh, reminding us of some of these great themes that we're going to see in the book. And I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing your sermons over the next month and uh, talking about it. Here. So, so yep. um, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully, this has been a good intro for you. Hopefully, it's been informative, but also we hope that it uh, it's been um, convicting, um, and also that it reminds you of the grace that God has for sinners in Christ. And uh, if that's you, 
and it is, <laughs> we, uh, we pray that you will be uh, turning away from your sin and looking to the Lord Jesus. Um, and uh, as we continue through the book of Jonah, we are hoping that this will help you to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So make sure to, uh, to like, subscribe, share, uh, write us a review, and uh, we will see you next time.